0: headed to New Zealand. I asked this in the, in the Sunday school hour. How many of you know where New Zealand is at? Okay. All right. Some more hands are coming up. Good. All right. If you're in Sunday school, you should know now, all right? That was a homework assignment. All right. Gotcha. All right. A little review test there. Um, how many of, has anyone been to New Zealand? Anyone? No? Okay. Don't feel bad. Uh, the record is only seven in a church. That's the record that we've been, this is our 70th church we've been in. And, uh, it's only been, at the most, seven people. So it's a faraway country, uh, as I mentioned in Sunday school. Up until they adjusted the international date line, uh, it was the first country every single day to see the new day. Uh, so at, right now it is just after four in the morning on Monday. So uh, they're waking up for work, and you folks are in the weekend, you're enjoying church, amen. It's just, uh, it's just it's good to be on this side of the date line, right? So, uh, very interesting uh, how that all works, but we're excited to get there. Uh, It's a country of 5 million people, and I mentioned Sunday School, 45 million sheep. Yes, there are 45 million sheep that live in New Zealand. Uh, For every one person, on average, there are nine sheep. So, if you lived in New Zealand, every one of you would have roughly nine sheep. Uh, So, very interesting, uh, very isolated country, a country that's very oftentimes forgotten, In fact, I found out recently uh, that there is a uh, a forum on the Internet that is specifically for New Zealand maps. What I mean by that is this forum was created by somebody, and all it is is you become a member of this forum if you find a map, whether printed or digital or a globe even sometimes, if you find a map, that does not have the country of New Zealand on it. And right now, as last time I checked, there are 42,000 members on that forum. So that means, there, that means there are 42,000 maps or globes or you know, pictures of the world that do not have the country of New Zealand on it. So it is a very forgotten uh, country oftentimes and a very, very isolated country from the rest of the world. And so... Uh, pray for them, as I mentioned, five million people in just a massive need for the gospel. Um, for for just for time's sake, roughly about twenty five hundred people are under the gospel each and every week in New Zealand, in a country of five million. That's point zero 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 five of a percent under the gospel, and so because of that, you just have such a, a void. Of, of Jesus Christ as such a such a void of anything to do with even a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're passionate about getting there, because we want to change that. Amen? We want that statistic to change a little bit. And uh, obviously we're not going to win them all. Obviously we're not going to, uh, you know, just every single one we talk to is going to accept Christ. We understand that. Uh, but I know this, even if we never talk to thousands, we can talk to one. Amen? And uh, we're looking forward to doing that excited about getting there. Uh, You pray for us, we started a Deputation right in the heart of 2020. What a blessing that was, right? And uh, we started July 1st of last year, and uh, we had about eh, two and a half, three months of meetings canceled during that time. And so we started July 1st, and uh, by God's grace, we're at about 50%. And so we're halfway there, and uh, we're excited about getting over there and what God's going to do. And just excited to be in churches like this. It's just good to be in church, isn't it? Uh, I tell you what, with all that's happened in the last year or so, uh, it's it's just it's good to be in church, and uh, it's good to be with God's people. Amen. So, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter number eight. John chapter number eight. And I'm a little biased with this passage of scripture. I'm going to preach from the day. It's my favorite. I, I love this. Uh, I should say it's one of my favorite. I, okay, I'll give you the politically correct answer. The whole Bible is my favorite. Okay, there we go. All right. Um, but no, I, I do, I love this particular passage just because it's, it's, a, uh, it's a passage that to me just really truly shows how good God is and just, just how he, he's so merciful and man, so often uh, we, 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 we fail to kind of tap into that. And we fail to, to experience that and to go through that. And, and, and certainly, you know, obviously I, I, I understand the, um, the principle of living right. I understand that. But man, aren't you glad that God still loves you no matter how many times you fail him? Oh, I know I am. I'm thankful for that. And so John chapter number 8 this morning. And we'll start right in verse number 1 of that passage, John chapter number 8. The Bible says this, Jesus went uh, unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself, and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. I'd like to preach a message entitled this morning, The Loudness of Silence. The Loudness of Silence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you for your love to us. and Lord, I thank you for uh, just the ability, God, to be in your house and open up your word. And, and God, just see the truths that are found in it, Lord, and just see the, uh, the love letter, Lord, that you've, you've written to us. And, and God, I'm so thankful for this day and, and this church. And Lord, I pray that uh, Lord, for these few moments, you'd be honored and glorified. And God, that we'd be able to uh, just draw all attention to you. Lord, remove me, I pray. We ask these things in your name. Amen. When I began dating my wife, uh, one of the things I realized right away is that I was going to marry her. Uh, whether she thought that or not, I don't know. Uh, but I, I knew right away she was the one. And so I, I kind of wanted to to kind of make the next step, if you will, in the relationship timeline, uh, I wanted to make it special. And for us, after I realized that, that next step was saying that three-word phrase. Now, you know what I'm talking about, right? I love you, right? That is like, a, that is like the Mount Rushmore of relationships, right? You've got to get to that peak if anything is going to move forward. And so I began to think of a way to say that and to make it memorable, to make it something that would just knock her socks off, you know, just, just, really, just really make it something she'll never forget. And so I began to, you know, think of ways to try to do this, and it seemed like every single time I tried to do it, something would happen. It, it would just go awry, and I'd have to kind of shut it down and, and just, you know, wait till next time. And, uh, you know, she, w- she was living in California. She was going to college. I was back here in Ohio, so I'd already graduated, she was in Bible college, and you know, obviously time difference, right? So we're talking on the phone, and many times I'd be talking to her, I'm getting ready to say it, you know, next thing I wake up, my alarm's going off, slobber's on my phone, I hear the dial tone, I fell asleep, right, you know, or she's got to run off to class, you know, it's just something always just got in the way. And so to make a long story short, I had scheduled my first trip, believe it or not, to, to fly to New Zealand in 2014. And so I found out through doing some research that it was cheaper to go out of California than to obviously leave from like Cleveland or Detroit, something like that. And so I thought, well, that'd be great. I could fly, I can get to California, a cheap flight, and then from California, I'll go to New Zealand. And while I'm waiting a couple days, I can spend some time with Becca at Bible College. I thought this would be great. So sure enough, I, I got my flight out of California and... And it worked out to where I could fly out there, you know, spend two or three days with her, and then drive down to California and, or LAX and, and fly to New Zealand. So sure enough, I got my flight, went out there, spent a couple days with her, and, and uh, everything went well. And, and the time came for me to now drive to LAX and fly to New Zealand. It's about an hour, maybe an hour and a half drive down from, from college there. And so we're driving down the highway, and I had this moment. I had this epiphany to tell her I love her at the airport. So I thought this will be great. You know, I'm going around the world, you know, time difference. You know, who knows if I'm going to have Wi-Fi to talk to her. You know, obviously I'm not going to have regular cell phone coverage. It's will be great. You know, I'll, I'll say it to her. She'll, she'll never forget this moment, right? So now at this point, you know, my heart's racing. I'm about 45 minutes out. You know, she's in the van there, we're driving down, everything's going great. Get to the airport, sure enough, there's those sliding doors, you know, the the sliding doors open up, and poof, there it is. Air, New Zealand. There's my gate. And so I grab my luggage, and, you know, again, the butterflies are starting to come up now. And so I get into the gate, I kind of put the luggage off to the side there, and I turn around, and I give Becca this great big hug. As I'm hugging her, I whispered in her ear. Now, at that moment, I was thinking, and perhaps you're thinking right now, that sure enough, the heavens opened up, and, and light began to shine down on us. The hallelujah chorus was playing. You know, Doves were flapping around us. It was just this moment in time. The world was coming to a stop on its axis. And, and things were just, it, it was almost as if the moment was made for history. We're going to read about this, right? This is going to be awesome. She'll never forget this. But, to my surprise, I heard nothing in return. In fact, I heard dead silence, and after a while, I could feel my shoulder beginning to get wet as this woman is now crying on my shoulder. And I'm thinking to myself, what just happened? I'm going to be single the rest of my life. I I just ruined this entire relationship in about 30 seconds. You know, I'm never getting married. I'm never going to ministry. I'm a loser. What just happened? This is not supposed to go like this. And so now it's kind of becoming awkward, right? We're, we're, we're embraced. I'm waiting for this. Nothing's happening. Okay, now I, I just got to get out of here, all right? So I, I kind of back away from, from the hug. You know, I, I, I grab my luggage. I shamefully walk to my gate with my head down, dragging my luggage. I get to my gate finally. And if you've ever flown international, you understand you have to be there like five days in advance, it feels like. So now I have all this time to think about it. I, I'm sitting here. My mind is just racing. I'm wondering, you know, what just happened? What did I do? And finally, I just said, just stop, Greg. Just stop. You know, you're know, you going to go nuts if you keep thinking about this. Just stop. And as I stop and as I, as I kind of just calmed down a little bit, took some time, this thought crossed my mind. And the thought was this. If this woman never talks to me again, if she never texts me back, if I fly back into LAX two, you know, two months from now, and I fly back in after this trip, and I'm, there's no one there to pick me up, and, I'm, and I'm, you know, I'm single forever, one thing's for certain. She now knows how I feel about her. There's no way she can get back in that van, drive the hour and a half back to college, wondering, huh, I wonder if Greg loves me or not. There's, there's, there's no doubt. I, I told her. I put myself out there. I might have been a fool myself, but nonetheless, she now knows, right, and, and, and that's it. That's all I can do. I left no doubt in her mind. I left no doubt in my mind, and she knows. Now, spoiler alert, okay, she did text me back, all right? We're married. Today is our sixth anniversary today. Everything's fine, right? We have a child now. I mean, everything, it turned out, all right? But, no matter if it ever did or not, the truth would have remained that she would have known how I felt about her. And in this passage of Scripture this morning, I believe we find three ways how Christ himself leaves no doubt how he feels about the world. And how he feels about literally all of mankind. How he feels about you. How he feels about your neighbor. How he feels about the the Kiwi. How he feels about the 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 people in in Africa, in Asia, you name it. And how he leaves no doubt about it. I believe, number one, the fact that he knows you inwardly ought to leave no doubt how he feels about you. Look at verse number uh, two of our passage. It says, Early in the morning he came again to the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst. I want you to take your mind there for a moment. So there's, the, there's this, this time in, in, in history. It's early in the morning. There's obviously people in the temple. Christ is, is engaged in teaching them. He's engaged in, in, in showing them things. And he's investing energy and time into them. He, he's, he's telling them, you know, whatever it is he's tell them, he's, he's teaching them in, in this scenario, in this situation. And then all of a sudden, the scribes and Pharisees come. They get his attention. And there's this woman, taken in adultery. And the Bible says, they set her in the midst. Now, whether they you know, literally put her in the middle and surrounded her, you know, nonetheless, they, they were putting a spotlight on her. They, they, were, they were pointing this woman out. They were calling her out. They were saying, listen, Jesus, this woman was caught in adultery and in in quite frankly, in the very act. We saw it happen, or someone did, and she's caught red handed Imagine that. Imagine being the woman. The fear that she must have had. You know, what's going to happen next? Have I lived my last day? Am I in the final moments of my life? Because if she had any question about what should happen to her... The scribe and Pharisees answer it for her when they're talking to Jesus. They say in verse 5, In the law, she should be, or according to the law, she should be stoned. Well, that's real comforting. Right? Now, if there's any doubt, any question, well, I should be stoned. Imagine that. The, the, the concern and the worry for, quite frankly, just your life period. Let alone the result, just what's going to happen to me? But what I find so interesting about all this is that Jesus Christ is even on the scene. Because in verse 2, he's, he's fully engaged in teaching, right? It's early in the morning. He's, he's, he's teaching these people. There's, there's people in front of him. He's, he's got them uh, sitting down. He's got them you know engaged with him. There's something going on. And yet, all of a sudden, he stops all that he involves himself in this situation with the woman and the scribes and Pharisees. And what's so interesting is that, why would Jesus have to do that? Quite frankly, the law already gave kind of the protocol on what to do. So why didn't Jesus just say, guys, go look at the law. I'll be back. Why, 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 did he, why didn't he just, you know, kind of shove them off to the side? Why didn't he just say, I'll get to you guys later. Can't you see I'm doing something here? You know, I'm teaching these people. Why, why did he do that? Why did he not do that, I should say? Folks, I'll tell you why. Because to Jesus Christ, that woman was a soul he'd eventually die for. You see, that woman was, was someone he left heaven for. That woman was someone that he understood was in need of him. And that needed his intervention right here and needed the, 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 the help that he gave. And what's so amazing is even in the midst of all that, and by the way, Christ knew what this woman had done before they even called him over. From teaching. He's omniscient. He knew. And what's amazing is, in the midst of all that, knowing all of the problems that she was involved in, knowing what the scribes and Pharisees were trying to do, trying to trip them up, the Bible says, you know, trying to get them to stumble or say the wrong thing, knowing all of that, he involves himself in this situation. And Folks, may I remind you today, what the Bible says about you and I. For all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. Turn to, turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah chapter number 17. Look at verse number 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. It doesn't stop there. It says, who can know it? In verse 10 it says, I, the Lord, search the heart. Folks, you know who knows all of our wickedness, all of our unrighteousness, all of our, our vileness, all of our sinful self? You know who knows that? Jesus Christ. And yet, in the midst of knowing all of that, knowing our wickedness, knowing who we are as people, in the midst of knowing all that, He left a perfect heaven to come down and to die for you and I. Folks, the fact that He did that ought to leave no doubt how it feels about you. We're so unworthy. We're so so broken. We're so just so finite. And yet Christ left heaven to come down to die for you and I. That'll leave no doubt how he feels about you. But then, secondly, the fact that he knows you inwardly, and, uh, and secondly, the fact that he defends you outwardly, ought to leave no doubt how he feels about you. Look at verse number 5. So, so they bring this woman now. There's, there's, there's the scribes and the Pharisees. There's, there's the woman who's caught in adultery, and there's Jesus. And, he, and they propose the question in verse 5. So, In the law, she should be stoned. But basically, Jesus, what what do you think we should do? Should we stone her or should we not? Now, in verse 6, here's the best part. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. By the way, Jesus Christ knew what they were doing. Jesus Christ, he is already a step ahead of them. He already knew what they were trying to do. He understood what was happening here. And here's the best part. In the middle of verse 6, Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. I love that. He's, he's just he's silent. He's not saying anything. He's ignoring them. But what's so interesting is in verse number seven, it says this. So when they, what's the next word there in verse seven? So when they continue asking him. You know what that tells me? That there's a period of time that goes by. Right, if you continue doing something, it means you, you do it for, for more than just a, you know, I do it and stop. No, you can, it, it keeps going on. Now, we don't know how long, you know, how much time is drawn out here. But, but nonetheless, they had to keep asking Jesus if, if they should stone her or not. In other words, as, as they're saying this, Jesus is just, he's silent. And, and they have to, hey, Jesus, we're talking to you. You know, do you, hey, do you hear us? Should we stone her or should we, should we not? Jesus, do you hear what I'm saying? Can, can, you, hello, Jesus, are you even there? You know, earth to Jesus. And finally, it's almost as if Jesus is—he's finally had enough of this. And in verse 7, he says this. He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. Now, if I'm a scribe or I'm a Pharisee, I'm expecting a yes, stone her, or no, don't stone her response. But yet Jesus Christ responds with this phrase. Never answering the question. Never giving them the yes or no answer they're looking for. And simply says, if you're without sin, throw the stone. So so what is Jesus Christ doing here? He didn't didn't answer with a yes or no. Folks, he's trying to get them to see that, guys, you're no better than she is. So, in in other words, he's defending this woman. Now, he's not defending what she did, alright? We find in verse 11, he tells her to go and sin no more. So, he recognizes there's sin there. He recognizes that what she did was wrong, you know, you shouldn't have done that. But, in the very essence of of this part of the conversation, of the story, Jesus Christ is saying, guys, don't don't focus on this because you're just like she is. If you're without sin, throw it. Right? But, but, but in, the, in the essence of all what's happening here, the woman's silent. She's obviously witnessing all this. And so Jesus Christ is simply defending this woman. And here's the best part. Turn to Revelation chapter number 12. Revelation chapter number 12. Look at verse number 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, "Now is come salvation and the strength in the kingdom of our God, in the power of His Christ." For now, notice this: the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Folks, you know what Satan is doing right now, day and night. The Bible says he's before the throne of God, and he's trying to accuse you and I, God's children, of our sin, of our fault, of our shortcoming. And God looks down, and if you're saved today, he says, you know what? No, I, I, I don't see what you're talking about, Satan. As, God, or as Satan is saying, hey, did you see what she did last week? Did you see how she treated that coworker? Hey, God, did you see how your child uh, last night or this weekend went out? Did you see how he, he acted in that situation? Did you see that, God, how he failed you, how he let you down? And if you're saved, God looks down and says, nope, I don't. In fact, I see the righteousness of my son. I see the blood of Jesus Christ, and I remove that transgression as far as east is from the west, and I remember it no more. And folks, he's defending you today before, before the throne of himself. He is there, and he's defending you today. And the fact that he does that ought to leave no doubt how he feels about you. Can you imagine that? Imagine knowing someone who... who continuously lets you down over and over and over. And then when push comes to shove, in the heat of the moment, you defend them. Hmm. I don't know that I could do that. But the God of this world does day and night, the Bible says. It's the fact that He knows you inwardly, defends you outwardly, and lastly, the fact that He forgives you immediately, I leave no doubt how it feels about you. Look at verse... Uh, number number eight. So he, he stoops back down to the ground after he responds to them. He he gives that answer. He doesn't even answer the question. He's he's dead silent on what on what they're asking him. He stoops back down to the ground, and begins writing on the ground, and then in verse number nine, I love this part. They just start walking away. They're convicted by their own conscience. No one's even speaking to them. And one by one, they walk away. And the Bible says from the oldest to the youngest. So the, the guys who thought, yeah, I got this, you know, we're, we're we're the smart ones here, we're the elders, we got this. One by one, they're walking away. Man, he got us again. How does he? How does he always do this? Every single time, and they're convicted. One by one. Then in verse ten, we find it's Jesus Christ and the woman. It's amazing. In verse ten, Christ asks her two questions. Woman, where are your accusers? And then has any of those condemned you, of those accusers condemned you? Now, I don't know about you, but if, if that's me and I'm one on one with the Savior of the world, and he knows my deepest, darkest sin, it's now out in the open. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little concerned about what's going to happen next. You know, perhaps he just wanted to kind of get the, the scribes and Pharisees away and not really cause a scene. You know, now he's going to drop the hammer. Now he's going to you know, condemn me. Now, now he's going to send me to the stoning pit. Now it's game over. You know what, What's going to happen? But he proposes those two questions to her, and she does what anyone else would do, answers them and says, No man, Lord. No, no one's... There's no uh, accuser here, and none of them condemn me. And Jesus Christ responds with this. Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Folks, the Savior of the world forgives her immediately. And by the way, who's the one person in this whole, whole passage of Scripture all the people, and you can even count the people in the temple if you want. The people in the temple, the scribes, the Pharisees, the woman, Jesus Christ. Who was who the one person that fit the mold of what he says in verse 7? Of when he says, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone on her. Who was the one person out of all those people that was without sin that could have cast the first stone? It was Jesus Christ. And the one that could have thrown the first stone chose not to. And everyone else, everyone else who was caught in their own sin, who were, who were convicted one by one and began to walk away one after another, from the oldest to the youngest, all of those that were, that were guilty of sin, that were guilty of, of falsely accusing this person, walked away, and now Jesus Christ is alone. And again, it could have thrown that stone and says, no, I forgive you. And folks, I'm here to tell you today, if you're a Christian, learn to forgive. Learn to show some grace. Tomorrow morning, when you get to work and you find out that that coworker told the boss on you, listen, forgive that friend that you thought was just always by your side, you know, always going to be with you through thick and thin, you know, always there from the time you were a child to now, you know, betrays you, lets you down. Forgive. Where would you be without the grace of God, without the forgiveness of Jesus Christ? Say, Greg, that's an awesome story. You know, I'm saved, I've experienced this. What's the take home? Well, as I mentioned in Sunday school, there are people just like this woman all around us. Quite frankly, caught red-handed spiritually in their sin. No way out of it. For all have sinned. That's still in the Bible today. Still, it still applies today. And folks, they're right here. Massillon, Ohio, in Canton, in Akron. And these people who are, who are caught red-handed, if you will, caught in the very act of their own sin, spiritually speaking, are in need of this message. You know, coming in and, and, and obviously knowing your pastor and, and, and just knowing a little bit about him, obviously, and seeing all the signs and seeing the prayer letters and seeing the table in the back, it, it's obvious to me this church has a sense of missions, right? I see the people up here, the sign I mean, it's, it's evident, right? And I, I'm sure you give to missions. I hope you do. And, again, I, I hope through this month and the preaching and, and all this stuff, I know I probably butchered it today, but through all this, you know, I, I hope you increase your giving. I, I'm for all of that. And, by the way, we need it, okay? I'll be honest, we need money. All right, I'll just say it. All right, We need money to get to New Zealand. It's the honest, honest answer. But I tell you what, it'd be a shame if all you ever did was maybe at the end of this month when you take up the commitments or whatever it is, you, know, you, you increase your giving, you put money in the offering plate, and you say, all right, missionary, go do your thing. We're praying for you. Woo, got your prayer card. I'll put it in the fridge. And again, thank you for doing that. I hope you do. But if that's all that you do, and you send us off, and you, you, you send us out to, over the sea, across the sea, but yet you yourself never go across the street, I think we missed it. I think we've just kind of, we've kind of reserved a certain part of it just for the missionaries going around the world. Folks, it's your responsibility as well. May God help us to be extremely loud about the message of silence. Christ never answered the question that day. Never gave them what they wanted. He showed them who he was. By the way, who he is, ought to leave no doubt how he feels about you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you for your love and mercy. God, I thank you for dying on the cross for us. Lord, giving us salvation. Lord, so freely, so, so openly, and Lord, I pray that today, Lord, you'd be honored and glorified, and Lord, that we would be uh, willing to share this message, Lord, that is, that is so powerful, it's so refreshing, Lord, it's so life-changing. And I pray that we'd be diligent about doing that. We do this now in this invitation moment, we pray these things in your name. Amen.
1: As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, we certainly have a great responsibility to get the gospel to the lost and dying world. And that would be in New Zealand, but that would also be right here in Ohio, right here in Maslin, Ohio. We have a responsibility to get the gospel here. As the piano plays and we start our invitation, God's spoken to your heart. The altar's open. Maybe you're here this morning and... I realized and I have that sin. And I didn't realize that God loved me. I want I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven of my sin. You can be. And he died on the cross to save you from your sin. That's why he came. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. If you need to be saved this morning, be more than happy to help you, show you from the Bible how you can be forgiven of your sins. So we think about the message. God showed his love to this lady, a sinner. God loves sinners. God loves people. He doesn't approve of our sin. He loves people. I just have one more verse.